Welcome to the Melbourne Business School podcast, where we answer the biggest questions in business today and explore the latest research. I'm your host, Yasmin Rupersinger. Today we have Jen Overbeck, Associate Professor of Management at Melbourne Business School, and Jared Kerhan, Gordon Kaufman Professor of Management at MIT Sloan, who with their colleagues Yeri Cho, Teng Zhang and Yu Yang, have found how using silent pauses in negotiations can create value or claim value through intimidation. This research is something team leaders should be aware of when looking to solve problems. Jen, Jared, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with me today. Thanks. Can you tell us about your research? Sure. Um, Well, I guess I will start. Um, So both Jen and I uh, research many topics, but among those is how people negotiate and how we can encourage people to negotiate more effectively. And most research on negotiation focuses on what negotiators say, but we're interested in what happens when a negotiator says nothing at all or goes silent in the middle of a negotiation. We've actually done some research on this and examined that the phenomenon of going silent in negotiation is fairly widespread in real-world negotiations. Um, And we were curious to know what it means, uh, what it correlates with um, when people use silence in a negotiation. So how does silence work and relate to internal reflection during a negotiation? So I'll take this one. Um, What we found over several studies is, um, first, I should start by saying that people's naive expectations when we asked them what they thought silence would do in a negotiation was much more about one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning, which is intimidation. So I think that when you ask people, what's your intuition about what happens when somebody goes silent in a negotiation, they report that they think, Oh, the person's trying to get into my head. They're trying to um, wear me down, to to play mind games with me. And so almost certainly what would happen if somebody went silent in a negotiation is that the other person would get freaked out and give away a lot of the value in that negotiation. And we we found that people really do uh, often hold this attitude or hold this uh, this intuition, even other researchers, when we've talked about this at conferences, have started out with the expectation that we were going to say the effect of silence in negotiation is to produce <clears throat> this kind of intimidation effect. But instead, uh, what our studies showed, and we've done at this point quite a few studies, and repeatedly what we have found is that silence seems to provide the negotiator um, an opportunity to pause and to sort of tamp down the heat of competition in the negotiation and just take a little bit of mental space that allows the opportunity for collaboration to move to the fore. So in other words, we become silent. Um, This is not part of our research, but we do know from other research that when you become silent, you you sort of physiologically calm yourself, you you have a little bit of space. And we're saying that this offers an opportunity for internal reflection, for you to be thinking more about what do I want to achieve and how do I want to achieve it. And our, our data 
bear that out. People report that they're using that time to reflect and the measures that we've collected suggest that indeed they're using that time to reflect. So that in the end, it's not a function of somebody freaking out their counterpart that produces a change. It's instead the fact that when I become silent, I myself create mental space that allows me to think better and allows me to consider options other than competitiveness. And that lets the whole negotiation unfold in a more constructive way. So you talked a bit about what happens when you use silence in a negotiation. What about using it as a tool to intimidate? I would say that silence can be used, of course, as a tool for intimidation. And when we started our research, we were actually curious about whether silence would have that effect in a negotiation. In other words, if I were to use silence in my negotiation, to what extent would it make my counterpart feel uncomfortable in the negotiation process? However, when we ran a series of studies on silence in negotiation, we actually didn't find any evidence for the counterpart becoming more uncomfortable when someone uses silence. It's not that we feel like that could never happen, but we were surprised at the extent to which we really were unable to find that in our data. So we do think that silence is a tool for intimidation, but perhaps much less prevalent than uh, was previously assumed to be the case. We do not have data on this point. This is um, something that we speculate about a a bit. But if you you think about some of the cues that accompany somebody's use of silence in a negotiation, that might have a really big effect on how that silence is interpreted by their counterpart. So, for example, if I fall silent and I'm giving you a fixed stare, you know, my eyes are boring into you and I look extremely serious, well, yeah, that, that could very likely be intimidating. Um, But our sense is that the participants in our studies were typically not doing this. Like we didn't, we didn't tell them what to do uh, in terms of looking at their counterpart or looking away. That was entirely up to them. They were typically either counting to 10 or counting to 12 in their head, or they might've been told to, you know, take some time for reflection or just fall silent with no instruction about how to use that time. Um, but if you watch people when they get this instruction, I think typically they're looking down at their, um, preparation materials. They might be looking around a little bit. They're likely giving off signals that say, I'm thinking right now. And so I think that's typically what their counterparts interpreted. And that's typically how they felt. And so, um, there are these environmental cues that might really change the situation. And we just didn't test Uh, a situation where somebody might be, you know, staring at you and looking intimidating. I should probably interject at this point that um, one of the exciting results of the study was that when silence was used in across all of the studies that we ran, silence was positively associated with what's called value creation, which is essentially the phenomenon of expanding the proverbial pie in a negotiation. As Jen mentioned, many people first associate with negotiations with competition, almost like a tug of war between two parties. And if your conception of negotiation is a tug of war, then not surprisingly, many of your negotiations are very adversarial and competitive. But in the real world, many negotiations have what negotiation scholars call 
integrative potential, which means even in a competitive situation, there are often ways to convert the situation to have some cooperative or collaborative element to it. For example, if one party was more interested in one particular issue like price, and another party was more interested in another issue like timing, maybe the two parties could agree that one party could get more of what they want on timing, whereas the other party could receive more of what they want on price. And that insight we found, was positively associated with the use of silence. So as Jen was explaining before, negotiation causes cognitive load. It's, it's really stressful sometimes to engage in negotiation. It takes a lot of brain power. But the use of silence is often associated with, as Jen mentioned, a kind of almost a relaxation um, in that use of brain power and might create cognitive space so that a negotiator could basically see the negotiation in, in a different light. Instead of seeing it as a competitive tug-of-war situation, they would be more likely to see the proverbial pie as an expandable pie that could actually be uh, made, both parties could potentially be made better off. That's really insightful, Jared and Jen. So, You've started to touch on this, but can you tell me more about who benefits from silence during a negotiation? Is it just the instigator? So, yeah, our um, our studies were able to separate what happens uh, for what you've called the instigator. So if we look at kind of the focal negotiator as the main person, and then they have a counterpart who's like the comparison person. Um, we looked at, you know, what happens when the main person becomes silent versus uh, their counterpart becomes silent. And um, so first I should I should connect this to what Jared was just talking about, because our our findings were primarily, as he said, about this integrative bargaining, about this ability to grow the pie and to have more overall value that's available to the parties. And um, at, at sort of a methodological level, when we measure that, we're measuring that across both people. So if we create value together, then in the end, the value that we created is is across both of us. So we're both benefiting. We're, we're benefiting as a negotiating um, pair or unit. So certainly, it's it's a benefit to both parties. But we can drill down and we can look at, well, what's driving that benefit? Where is that benefit really coming from? Is it that I become silent and that changed something in me? Or is it that my becoming silent changes something in the response of the other party? And that's where we're saying that the, the driving force behind these findings is internal reflection. We can say that in part because we're able to identify that these findings are happening or this process is happening for that focal negotiator, that main negotiator, the person who initially becomes silent. That that's, that's the person where if I become silent, um, then I'm able to drive a process together with you where we are creating value. So I think it's important to note that um, my becoming silent doesn't create disadvantage for my counterpart. It's more of a rising tides lift all boats phenomenon where I become silent, I create that mental space. I am able to engage in internal reflection and be more collaborative, but that's creating value for both of us. And what we don't know is 
is there a flow on effect for you? But we certainly haven't found a lot of evidence that you show more internal reflection. At my doing, it seems to be enough. One reason that might be the case, actually, is that maybe when one person is silent, the other person has some sort of question in their mind as to what's going on here. And maybe that questioning distracts from the process of problem solving in negotiation, perhaps. All right. So can I ask you for an example about what that might look like? What should people be looking out for? I can start this one and I'll do this. I'll answer by describing what happened in our studies. Uh, Typically, what we asked people to do was when your counterpart makes a proposal of some kind. And, you know, if you think about a negotiation, negotiations are a series of questions and answers and proposals and counterproposals. So if I'm buying a car from you, I might say, um, you know, will you will you take ten thousand dollars for this car? And you might come back and say, no, I want $15,000 for the car. And, and so we're, we're going back and forth a bit. Um, in the kinds of negotiations that we were studying, they're complex negotiations. They have multiple issues. As Jared mentioned, they have what we call integrated potential, which means if we think about these issues in a creative and intelligent way, we can make more value. Um, so, so we instructed people to become silent for maybe 10 to 20 seconds, immediately after their counterpart made a proposal to them. So the idea is, uh, you are saying to me, all right, we're we're negotiating a job offer. Um, I'm making a proposal to you that the pay will be at this amount, your bonus will be at this amount, you'll have these duties, you'll work in this location. And immediately after you deliver that proposal to me, my job then is to fall silent for a period of time before I answer. And if you think about how that would look in real life, um, you know, frequently somebody will make a negotiation proposal to us and we're busy thinking about what we want. We might immediately come back with, no, 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 this is what I want. Or we might be rehearsing. Maybe I wasn't even listening much to what you said. I was rehearsing what I was going to say. And so you make your proposal and I'm immediately speaking because I just couldn't wait to get my words out. So there are a variety of circumstances under which we might expect people to speak instantly when their counterpart finishes. But we've told them, you know what? It will be good for you. We don't even tell them why. It will be good for you if you just wait and take this brief pause and then answer. And so now instead, now you make a proposal to me and I'm becoming silent. And doing so means I'm inhibiting my rush to answer. I might be listening to you a little bit more, or at least it gives me time for what you said to sink in. And I can think more about, okay, uh, I have some time before I'm gonna answer, so maybe I can do something with what you just said. So what we're generally now, I think both Jared and I, I'll let Jared speak to this, are advising um, students and executives who work with us is to practice doing this, practice becoming silent when you receive uh, a, a proposal or an offer from your counterpart and do that throughout the negotiation. Just make it a habit to build those tiny spaces into your negotiation because it'll give you that ability to be reflective and responsive and not always be rushing to what you want to say. Yeah, I think um, you put that really well, Jen. I think I would just add that in in one of our studies, we actually 
measured those instances of silence by digitally recording a negotiation. And we looked at every instance in which somebody did what Jen just described. So instead of responding immediately, they would take a pause. And we actually found that when we examined what happened right after that pause, we found a higher incidence of what you might call breakthroughs in negotiation, Um, essentially where somebody would see the situation in a different way and do what negotiation scholars called log rolling, which is sort of trading across one issue for another issue, which often doesn't come easily to negotiators as an idea to how to create value in negotiation. That's a really great example. Thank you both so much for sharing that. I think our listeners will be able to relate to that very well. It leads me to ask my next question, which is how does the status or role of each person in a negotiation factor into the equation? So we've seen in many past studies of negotiation that status differences play an important role in negotiation processes. And in research on silence in particular, prior work suggests that low status and high status parties may hold different views about silence. So low status parties might see silence as a signal that they're not being accepted whereas high-status parties might see silence as a sign of respect. So if the other parties are going silent, maybe they're just being deferential to me. Um, And accordingly, in our research, we actually have a study where uh, where we adapted a negotiation situation to create a strong status difference between the parties in the negotiation. And we had each party be instructed or not instructed to use silence in their negotiation. And what we found was consistent with the prior research on silence that when a high status party was instructed to use silence in negotiation, like in our other studies, this led to greater incidence of value creation. However, when a low status party, relatively speaking, was instructed to use silence in the negotiation, there was no effect on value creation. So this leads us to conclude that status may interact with the ability of somebody to create benefits in the negotiation through silence. It might be the case that high status parties are more equipped to use silence to mutual advantage than low status parties. And I should emphasize that I don't think this would have to be this way. It's just that if low-status parties become uncomfortable with the use of silence, that may interfere with their ability to create value. But if low-status parties could potentially use silence without discomfort themselves, uh, then they may have a better likelihood of um, creating more value in their negotiations. And based on our research, Low-status parties don't have much to fear in using silence because we found that when low-status parties use silence, it did not have a negative effect on their counterparts. So you might think as a low-status party, I really shouldn't use silence because it will make my counterpart feel uncomfortable and maybe they won't like me. 
But as Jen mentioned earlier, I think it depends how you use silence. So as a low status party, if somebody made an offer to you, you could say something like, give me a minute, or I'm going to think about this for a moment, and then go silent so that your counterpart won't consider you to be rude for not responding immediately. Before we wrap up our conversation for today, I'd like to ask, what are some of the other interesting implications of your research into the value of silence? That's a really good question. So I guess I'll start by saying that one of the challenges that negotiators worry about and sometimes face is when their counterpart uses a difficult tactic on them. Maybe the counterpart says something that they're not expecting or puts them on the spot to respond to a very difficult or threatening question. And some negotiators feel obligated to respond immediately. But that may be when you make your biggest mistake in negotiation, is not giving yourself a chance to think before you speak. So I think one important implication of this research is that pausing and essentially not saying anything for a few moments may serve you better as well as serving your counterpart better in the negotiation. Early on in the process of doing this project, one of the steps that we went through, um, and actually this was a step that was primarily uh, spearheaded by Yeri Cho, one of our co-authors, who started working on the idea of silence and negotiation when she was a PhD student. Um, and I'll, as a side note, mention that Jared had separately been working on silence and negotiation, and we found out about each other's interests and teamed up partway through both of our projects. So Yeri started her work by trying to investigate at what point do people start to feel like a silence is noticeable or uncomfortable? Because she had the intuition that for a silence to have an effect, it may need to be long enough to be a sort of a noticeable interruption. Now, in our later joint work, what we found is that, you know, silences can be as short as three or four seconds, and you start to see a relationship between having silence in the negotiation and having good outcomes. And so it doesn't have to be a long, uncomfortable silence. But in any case, early on, she found that when a silence, uh, silent pause gets to be about 10 or 12 seconds long, people start to get a bit uncomfortable. It starts to feel awkward. So she would go up to friends all over the university campus where she was a PhD student, and she'd um, just interrupt them and say, would you mind doing something for me? Uh, have them continue their conversation, but then pause for a while. And she asked them, stay silent until it gets weird. And she ran a stopwatch to see at what point did they say it got weird. And on average, you know, she'd write down the time. And on average, it was about 12 seconds. So we know that, you know, this is great advice, fall, fall silent for a little bit. And we've told you that in our studies, we told people to fall silent for 10 to 20 seconds. And we know that that feels weird to people. So that could mean that it's somewhat difficult advice to implement. But what I found uh, in using this with students and using this in executive ed training um, is that when you do give people this advice and they start to implement it in several negotiations and they do it repeatedly, they get more and more comfortable with it. 
Jared mentioned earlier that you can you can actually preface falling silent with a phrase like give me a minute, which gives you permission from your counterpart to become silent. And that, you know, people I think develop strategies and techniques for for using this um, uh, using silence in their negotiations, and they can really increase their comfort in doing so. So I think one of the important implications or uh, at least comments that we can make about it is that it's a strange thing to do at first, and people do feel somewhat uncomfortable at first, but uh, I've been able to observe that it doesn't take very long for people to assimilate the strategy into their toolkit, and they're really able to do it with a fair amount of comfort. Amazing. Like everything, I suppose it does require a little bit of practice, but then it becomes second nature. Jen, Jared, thank you both so much for sharing with us about your research and your team's research as well. It's been absolutely fascinating to learn more about what silence means in a negotiation and, and what kind of value it can create for the people in the negotiation. So thank you both again so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. It's been so much fun. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. Melbourne Business School is home to Australia's best MBA and business analytics degrees, as well as short courses for professionals and custom solutions for organisations. Our purpose is unleashing ideas and leaders for a sustainable future. Visit mbs.edu to find out more. Until next time.